Stewardess? What's the in-flight movie today? Well, I think you'll like it, Cyrus. It's called I'll Never Make Love to a Woman on the Beach Again. And it's preceded by the award-winning short, No More Steak for Me Ever. <laughs> Funny fucker, aren't you? Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. I'm your host, Peter, and joining me for this review of 1997's Con Air is Shampoo from the Buzz, Beers, and Brutality podcast. What's up, Shampoo? Hey, how's it going? I'm pretty stoked to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. Like, hey, did I say that scary enough? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you <laughs> nailed it. That, that might have been the first time I did something like that, lower my voice to build a little suspense. You definitely have a future in horror movie trailers, I think. You think so? Okay, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. not a big horror guy, uh, but, you know, hey, I'll, I'll do what I can do. Um, now, for those that have not heard of Bud's Beers and Brutality, can you tell them a little bit about that and what you guys do over there? Sure, sure. We're a horror-themed podcast. We don't necessarily have any one set episode plan. Uh, we cover a variety of different movies or topics, and then usually what we do is we'll we'll take a beer and we'll pair it with the theme for the movie. Uh, so, for example, whenever we did our Creep Show episode, there were uh, five segments in the movie, and we actually drank five different beers and paired them with each one of the segments. And so we review the movie, we review the beer, uh, we have some trivia, um, sometimes we actually get some celebrity guests. We've had some some pretty cool guests on the show. Uh, Who did you have on recently? Um, The most recent guest we had was actually Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Entertainment. That's uh, right. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, he said that he was going to give us about thirty minutes, and we ended up recording with him for about two, yeah, about two hours. Isn't uh, that he, the best? <laughs> yeah, it was it was really cool the entire time. I was just like, oh my god, I am talking to Lloyd Kaufman right now. This is crazy. Um, we've also had uh, Ira Hayden from Dr- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street: Dream Warriors. Uh, we had Larry Zerner, who's the the guy who actually. Uh, gave Jason his mask, well, gave, quote-unquote, and uh, Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. And um, for for the horror fan, which one would you uh, recommend them checking out if this is the first time they're listening to your show? Oh, I have I have my personal favorites. The Dream Warriors episode's really good. Um, our Leprechaun episode seems to be pretty popular. My personal favorite is the... 3B3 Stephen King film episode that we did with uh, at Jay Lost the Day from now in Technicolor. I really like that episode. Yeah, well, uh, Jay is a, it's an awesome dude. Uh, we've collaborated many times, and he's supposed to come on my show for uh, two more movies, so that is definitely in the works. So, uh, cool dude. Yeah, he's he's basically the unofficial official member of of our show. He's he's been on I think three different times. Yeah, 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 yeah. He knows his stuff. Yeah. Okay, so and one last thing I wanted to throw out, uh, throw out that you guys are actually part of the uh, Movie Pod Squad Network. Yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, many of the members have previously been on uh, this show as well. So uh, Justin from So I Married a Movie Geek, he does this thing, the uh, Fantasy Movie Drafts, and you were on recently for an 80s horror one, and I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, so for listeners who you know previously like Justin being on Mannequin and some of the other guys, check that episode out as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely check out that episode, and um, if you really like people being extremely drunk, um, you'll enjoy my performance <laughs> on that episode. 
It was quite fun. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's get into the year of 1997 uh, when this movie Con Air uh, came out. Uh, some of the other movies that came out the same weekend, I'm not familiar with. Um, some of them didn't make so much money, but Red Cherry, uh, Intimate Relations, Bliss, The Pillow Book, and Buddy. I'm not gonna lie, I've never seen any of those. Buddy sounds familiar. Let me take a look here. Mm, okay, so I do remember the cover box. Never seen the movie. It's got Rene Russo on it and a bunch of animals. So does not does, ring a bell yeah, at all. <laughs> that doesn't tell me anything, but that was uh, second uh, in gross that particular weekend. So um, that's it. So Con Air won that weekend, $101 million, uh, grossing. Uh, I'm not sure what... Uh, uh, how much they made that actual weekend. But the number one song that came out when this movie released was uh, Puff Daddy's I'll Be Missing You. Oh, good song. Great song. My, my son, uh, who is almost 17, he likes that song a lot, actually. It still kind of plays on the radio. Uh, but uh, what do you remember from that song? Oh, mostly just the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, uh, they took that from the police. The, yep. uh Sting, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good song. Um, he wrote that about uh, Notorious B.I.G., didn't he? He did. He did, yeah, after the passing of uh, B.I.G. Um, I... That song came out my eighth grade year. Uh, I know I'm a little bit older than you. So that came out eighth grade year. The first time I had heard it was at a, uh, was actually the instrumental because it was the the end of the year. So they did a talent show and one of my friends did a rap uh, to the instrumental. So you know, like over the summer, it obviously uh, kind of ruled the radio waves and I became a big fan. So, you know, I, I kind of liked B.I.G. and Puff Daddy anyway. They were kind of... um. For me, I was kind of new to the East Coast type of music. I, I know you're from the West or the Midwest, <laughs> the, um, but the Midwest, yeah, <laughs> the Midwest. Yeah, I'm from the Best Coast, <laughs> so you know I kind of grew up on you know the Tupac, the Bay Area stuff, Rapid Forte, E40. You know, so I grew up like um, like a West Coast kid, and so like when Diddy started coming out with all these. Uh, sampled music from the 80s. I, you know, I'm a big 80s guy, too. That's when I started kind of listening to it more, a little bit more Wu-Tang Clan, you know, Bad Boys, uh, Rough Riders, stuff like that. Very cool. Yeah, I I actually have an interesting experience with rap, especially 90s rap, in that I didn't really get into it until I was in high school, which okay. wasn't until the, you know, the early 2000s. And so most of these guys were either past their prime or, in a lot of cases, dead. So I I got into a lot of 90s music way after the 90s just because I wasn't born until 88, you know, I'm only 28. So a lot of this stuff came to me pretty late, but I'm still still a pretty big fan of uh, a lot of 90s stuff. What well, what was your introduction to rap? Was it uh was it Nelly? You said early 2000s. I feel like he that's when he was starting to come up. Yeah, Nelly was a big one, although I'm not necessarily a very big fan of him. Um I I listened to a lot of Eminem early on. Okay. Um, that was that was a, a big introduction to me. Um, I actually really fell in love with Tupac pretty early on t- as well. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for that uh, All Eyes on Me coming out pretty soon here. Yeah, that's going to be very, very cool. Yeah. All right, man, let's get into Con Air here. Uh, one thing I didn't remember was who directed it. 
Uh, Simon West is the director of this one, and he's actually done a few movies I, I am familiar with. Um, just to kind of throw some out here, he did uh, Black Hawk Down, General's Daughter. That one I kind of like. Uh, I'm sorry, no, he was a producer on Black Hawk Down. Right. But, uh, uh, General's Daughter, I saw that in the theater when I worked there. Uh, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, The Mechanic, I, I like that one. I feel that's underrated. And I guess he also did Expendables 2. Yeah, yeah. So just to name a few there. He also did When a Stranger Calls, which is actually... Pretty pretty decent suspenseful horror movie. It doesn't have a very good IMDb rating or anything like that, but I enjoy that movie. Not a not a lot of horror movies do, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I I feel don't always trust the IMDb score. I mean, it's definitely something to go off of. Um, I don't know if I've seen that one. Is it uh, who who's the the lead actress in that one? Um, it's Camilla Bell. I don't think okay. she's she's really done too much, but the the whole premise is that uh, it's this high schooler and she's babysitting, and she get she gets a phone call from within the house. It's sort of that classic babysitter trope where where's the baby? Where am I calling from? Oh no, it's from within the house. Like it's a silly trope, but um, it's a fun movie. I I feel like I have seen it because um, when I saw did did she come out with Cinderella? Um, I'm not actually sure. I th- I think she was the the live the live action version of Cinderella, and um, I'm sure if I'm wrong, the listeners will let me know. But uh, I think I remember watching her in that, and then I was like, okay, I've seen her in something else, and it might have been when a stranger calls. So Camila Bell, yeah, the name definitely um rings a bell to me. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> but uh, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. The thing was, like, I, I think I kind of misremembered, like, this being a uh, Michael Bay movie, you know, just because of all the explosions. It definitely Jerry, feels like one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Jerry Bruckheimer um, touch, you know, is, is what did it for me. Uh, after having watching this, I, I still remembered most of the movie. There were still some things I kind of forgot about, and, and we'll kind of get into that. Um, some of our key players, we got Nick Cage playing Cameron Poe, our lead. John Cusack is Vince Larkin. John Malkovich is Cyrus the Virus. Uh, Ving Rames is his uh, second command, Diamond Dog. Yep. We got uh, D- Danny Trejo as Johnny 23. Dave Chappelle as Pinball. Uh, Mikkel T. Williamson as Bubba Gump. I'm sorry, he's Baby O. <laughs> Same guy. Uh, Rachel uh, Ticketon. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name uh, correctly, but it's uh, she is the guard, Sally Bishop. Yep. And Monica Potter as Mrs. Poe, Trisha. And we'll just leave it at that. Hey, you know what? Let's throw in... Uh, um, MC, no, no, what's his name? Colmini as uh, Duncan Malloy, DEA agent. Yep. Yeah, yep. got to gotta throw him in there. So uh, what do you remember from this movie? Um, you know, like, uh, you got any history with this? Like, I know when we spoke about doing this movie, you hadn't seen it in a few years. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in five or six years. Uh, I remembered all the major the major points of the movie, you know, like... I, I in particular remembered Steve Buscemi sort of in his, his Hannibal Lecter garb and right. Nicolas Cage's ridiculous hair. And uh, accent. Yeah, and <laughs> accent. Um, uh, and mostly I remembered put the bunny back in the box. It sounds just like him. <laughs> I've been I've been practicing. Uh, I don't know. It was it's a movie that I it, I oddly enough I remembered almost everything about it, but I didn't remember how cheesy it was, uh, which was kind of fun to go and relive that. Yeah, that's funny that you say that because um, I didn't. I, I actually liked this viewing of it. I I thought I remembered 
kind of watching this movie back in the day and just like uh, just kind of rolling my eyes and you know I thought it was super cheesy but upon this rewatch I found it less cheesy if that <laughs> makes any kind of sense a little weird but I do the, the one thing that still has been the same is that um, I felt Nicolas Cage was uh, miscast or at least his um, you know his direction I wasn't feeling it um, one of the things I kind of forgot at first was the movie did start off with uh you know, kind of a flashback as to why he does get imprisoned. And once it did start out, I kind of did remember it. So kind of plays like a, uh, like a scene from Green Lantern a little bit, really. Um, and the other thing that I kind of forgot about uh, was How Do I Live was featured in the song. So yeah. I didn't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not remember that at all. Whenever it started playing and they were dancing in the bar to it, I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> it was a little cheesy when very. the song came on. And around this time, you had other movies with uh, very prominent songs playing like throughout. Uh, that song, How Do I Live, was Oscar nominated for Best Original Song, Lost Out to uh, Titanic, which uh, you guys can find a review of that with the uh, Mrs. Winters from So I Married a Movie Geek, so check that out. <laughs> but yeah, they, around this time, man, they um, they they try to tie a bunch of like pop songs to all these you know action or you know very um, you know big epic movies. You know your Armageddon, you know just came out a few years before. Uh, had you know the um, Aerosmith song. Yep. So yeah, it, I. I don't think this song went well. It did you know, not fit at all. <laughs> yeah, funny enough, it got nominated for the Oscar. It also got nominated for a Razzie for worst song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good song. It just doesn't... Well, I mean, it's a good song for what it is, uh, yeah. if you're into those sappy love songs, but it's it doesn't fit this movie at all. Especially, it doesn't like, you, belong in here. You yeah. look at the poster art, and it's, you know... Ving Rhames with a couple of guns and, you know, John Malkovich and John Cusack and Nicolas Cage and, like, a bunch of fire in the plane. And the very first thing you hear is, how do I live without you? <laughs> doesn't It doesn't fit at all. It really doesn't. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, um, reading some of the trivia on IMDb, some of, some of the guys associated with this movie... They don't like the movie. You know, I, I think um, John Malkovich had some problems uh, during filming. You know, the script kept on being rewritten throughout uh, filming, and he started getting frustrated not knowing, you know, where uh, his character was going. Then John Cusack, it, it's very little is known, but he also kind of disassociates himself from this movie, uh, doesn't want to be interviewed about it. Um, some of the other people, too, I can't remember all of them, but. Kind of interesting. Um, okay, so you thought this was really cheesy. What were some of the cheese other than... Uh, I, I didn't think there was too many lines that were cheesy. Uh, some things could have been left out for sure, but uh, I think the bunny in the box scene is probably the, the biggest one. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a fun, funny line, but it is definitely cheesy. Yeah, I mean, there's also the scene with Dave Chappelle running next to the taxiing airplane, like trying to bang on the window to let him in. <laughs> and then he gets ran over by the, the landing gear and they end up finding him later. And that's how the, the DEA uh, guys get, get sort of notified is Nicolas Cage writes a bunch of stuff on him in magic marker and then pushes him out of an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. Where did he get that marker? Yeah, where, where did he get the marker? And also, how fast is pinball that he can run next to an airplane <laughs> trying to take off? <laughs> I didn't even think about that either, but you're right. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is, like, um, I think some of those scenes, you know, that uh, come off, like, really silly, I felt 
the writing was actually decent enough that there was a lot of setup for certain things, you know? Um, so that's actually what I appreciated about this, thinking that this movie was, like, super terrible. But I was like, well, but they did kind of set the set that up, or this sets up something else. So so I, I was able to kind of dismiss that. Yeah, I mean... I say it's cheesy, but I'm not gonna lie. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't. I would watch it again. I mean, oh, yeah. I'll probably wait a couple of years before I watch it again. But yeah, it was. Sure. It, it's a fun movie. It's it's clearly a summer blockbustery popcorn style flick, and that's that's what it meant. To, that's what it was meant to be. And I mean, you look at the cast. It's it's basically an all star cast from the late '90s. Nicolas Cage was, you know, is at the height of his caginess in in 1997 uh John Malkovich is always great John Cusack is still a big name in Hollywood mm-hmm. um and then you have some of the also rans in it you have a young Dave Chappelle um yeah it's it's uh it's a solid movie it yeah it is the I mean, cheesiness be- just reflects the time I think right yeah no it's a product of its time I mean Ving Rhames was just recently featured on Gardens Volume Two so mm-hmm. he's still doing things um yeah the uh, okay let's talk about the beginning a little bit sure. um for those that kind of forgot um, Nicolas Cage plays Army Ranger Cameron Poe. Um, one evening he visits his wife who's at work and he is harassed by three regulars, uh, at the bar that she works at or restaurant and goes to jail for killing one of them. Um, we fast forward to, I forget the years. Was it like seven years or something? Yeah. Can we talk about, can we talk about Cameron's lawyer real quick and how terrible he was? Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Go (laughs) go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) He's like, okay, so you... You should just take the plea deal. You'll do four years at the most. It's like, have you ever considered just, you know, taking it to trial? Because there's no way he gets convicted in a jury trial. Like, hey, these guys try to fight me. One of them had a knife, and I punched one of them in the face. It sucks that he died. But, you know, I'm a I'm a war veteran. Have mercy. And they totally would have. Yeah, the weird thing was like, oh, well, not weird, but um, I actually liked how I was expecting one of those tropes where he looks over to the lawyer. The lawyer's like, ah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean. So they didn't yeah. even do that. So I, so I did like that. But yeah, what a shitty lawyer that Terrible he had. Terrible lawyer. Terrible lawyer. Yeah, you'll just do four, and then like the um, the judge is like, well, you know, you, with your military background, you are a. He didn't say a lethal weapon, but he you said know, you were um, you were able to respond to a threat with deadly force. Deadly force. There we go. And so, uh, no less than seven years. So he really got screwed out of that. And because okay, so is he out of the army at this point, or he's still in the army? It seemed to me like he had gotten honorably discharged. I'm guessing, but I'm not entirely sure because he was in his full dress dress uniform. Which right. I'm not sure is typical if you're coming home. I, I'm not really sure. I'm I was never in the army, so I don't know what the rules on such things are. Well, I was. Uh, I was not an army ranger. Um, I think it. See, I mean, I don't. I don't think it really even depends on the situation because a lot of the times we fly back. Now, this movie was in '97. I enlisted uh, the year 2000, so rules kind of changed, um, you know, when it came to traveling via plane for military personnel. Um, they they actually preferred that we did not uh, travel in uniform when taking commercial flights. So we didn't get to see, like, Cameron Poe uh, flying back home or anything like that. Uh, so I totally believed that he'd be in uniform, 
post 9-11, we'd be wearing regular civilian clothes. Now, I didn't get the impression that he was being, you know, uh, discharged for anything. I, I took it as he was still in the military. And so the reason I brought this up is because I felt I was wondering, why was he being imprisoned with regular civilian folk? You know, why was he not uh, charged USMCJ, you know, in the military? Yeah, like with the military tribunal instead of a jury trial? Exactly. So that that was one of my questions kind of watching the the movie, but then like this is kind of a, a plot device. You know why they I feel like maybe whoever had a say in it didn't want to put him in a uh, in a plane full of like military convicts. You know what I mean? Like those are supposed to be the people that defend the country. Right. Why do we have you know people that are rapists and killers, you know? So so I think it was you know, maybe if they did a dropped line where he got discharged from the military, if they did, sorry, I missed it. But you know, if they just kind of like, yeah, I don't, if, I don't if think that was they, the reason, they did I'd it at all. More. I, I sort of glossed over that. I didn't even consider that if he was still an active um, soldier, that it should have been a military trial. Didn't even occur yeah. to me. Yeah, just because, yeah, because he's active duty, that would just make more sense. Yeah, because if he got discharged, I'd believe it more. But I don't think they really touched on that. And, you know, it's just one of those things that um, it doesn't matter. You suspend your disbelief. But having served, that you know, that's where my mind went. Uh, but I think it does serve better, you know, that he's on a plane with actual civilian convicts. Because, again, like in the military, you're not supposed to have those type of guys. You right. know, at least not... I'd really hate to think about it, but like, you know, um, Danny Trejo, you know, Johnny 23, who's raped 23 women. has got a heart for each and one of them tattooed on his arm. Yeah. And then he's like, they'd call me Johnny 5000 if they knew the truth. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, crazy ass line from him. Um, I completely forgot about that line, but I was like, Good Lord. So these are what the 23 of the 500 that actually like went to somebody. What, I, what is that? I guess maybe, maybe that's just what he got convicted of and it's a prison tat or something. That's what, that's what I would guess. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So he, yeah, he gets paroled after eight years. Uh, he gets transported with a bunch of villains, uh, villains, convicts, but did they say why he had to be on this particular plane? Um, basically it was just a matter of convenience because they were, they were taking the, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure why he was in that federal prison in Arizona or Nevada to begin with. That doesn't really make sense since he didn't commit a, maybe, maybe that's why he was in a federal penitentiary because he was a soldier or something. Because if, if he just killed someone in Alabama, there's no real reason why he would have been sent to a federal penitentiary because it's you know, not an interstate crime. I'm, right. I'm I'm not I'm not sure about how prisons work, but it seems to me that punching one guy in the face, you don't need to go to a maximum security prison. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um but yeah, the reason he was on that flight is because there was a new Supermax facility that was built in Alabama and he was basically just hitching a ride. That's right. Okay, so see that makes sense. Like I feel maybe they should have locked him up in Fort Levin Levensworth. Um, and then maybe like whatever connecting flight, okay, the, you know, the conveniency, he has to take this, uh, this other one, you know, Con Air. So, okay, you know, I, I, I kind of buy it. Now, what, okay, what do you think about Cameron Poe being a man from Alabama? Like, I, I felt, my, my problem is Nicolas Cage's, um, accent. Uh, it was so bad. It was terrible. And apparently he actually went to mobile, mobile, mobile. Uh, Alabama, 
sorry, sorry, Alabama. <laughs> sorry, sorry, people from Alabama. I I don't know how to pronounce it. Mobile, Mobile, yeah, I, Alabama. I think it's I think it's Mobile. Okay, yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I hey, I know that story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I don't understand why we needed to give him an accent. I mean the the hair is somewhat forgivable, but the accent ruined it for me because it it kind of goes in and out sometimes. Well, the the hair doesn't even really make sense. It's just like kind of to signify a passage of time to just be like yeah he's been in prison for seven years you can tell because he has seven years worth of hair now (laughs) i would have been you know okay if he had grown a beard you know it's like um i mean i'm sure was it a wig it's gotta be a wig right ah man i i don't know maybe or or maybe (laughs) nicholas cage just showed up on set and he was just like i've been growing my hair out for six months for this movie i've been growing my hair and I want to wear it like this. Um, yeah, yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, there's other guys that could rock the long hair. Nicolas Cage is not one of them. Well, it's uh, weird because his his hairline has been receding for the last 25 years, but he's not actually going bald. His forehead's just getting bigger. It's so bizarre. Yeah, kind of like LeBron a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Um, all right, so yeah, the rest of the movie, he is fighting to get off this plane and has an ally, uh, Larkins here, who is played by John Cusack. And chaos ensues throughout the entire movie, ultimately, uh, reuniting with his wife and daughter at the end of the movie. Uh, let's talk about Cyrus the Virus. I feel this might have been my introduction to John Malkovich. Um, I didn't start working at Blockbuster till like 19, uh, actually maybe 2000 is when I started, but I was uh, an avid renter, you know, so after having seen him as Iris the Virus, that's when I started like watching other things. And I think I actually did watch Of Mice and Men in um, in high school, you know, so so I did see like, oh, this guy, he, he does a, a lot of different ranges. And, you know, um, John Malkovich, I think comes out a couple years later. But uh, what do you think about him as the big villain? I thought he was excellent and I'm I'm pretty sure that was that was my introduction to him as well um cuz John Malkovich is great because he's very rarely the lead character in anything he's in but whatever he's in he's that character he he's a bit like how Bill Paxton used to be where he's not John Malkovich in any movie he is the character that he's playing whereas yeah. you know the opposite is Nick Cage is Nick Cage in everything Nick Cage is in And maybe that's why he tries to do an accent in every movie. (laughs) Could be, could be. But yeah, I love John Malkovich. He he really gave off the the aura of being just a total psychopath in the movie. Yeah, he really does. Um, I was just kind of looking it up here while you were speaking. But uh, if if this wasn't my introduction to him, which um, I feel like I might have seen this a little bit after uh, it actually came out, but uh, I did see. Rounders, and I think Rounders came out in '96, and he was the, um, you know, the the bad guy in there, you know, playing the the Russian KBG uh, dude, you know, who Edward Norton and Matt Damon play against. Uh, did you ever see Rounders? Yeah, I, I love Rounders. That's a great yeah. movie. Rounders, yeah, is quite great too. Um, okay, so let's talk about. Um, okay, so we talked about Cameron Poe being arrested and sentenced. Um, Oh, let's, let's talk about the uh, Monica Potter real quick. Uh, I know she didn't have a whole lot to do, but did you like her casting? I mean, I, I don't think it really mattered because like the 
the wife Trisha. She has very little screen time anyway. Yeah, I mean, she was she was all right. She was non-offensive, I think. Um you get a little bit of a hint of their backstory that maybe before Cameron went to the army that he was a bit of a bad boy and gotten lots of fights um mm-hmm. with a couple of lines there. Um I think she only has about 8 lines in the entire movie though. And that that might even be a couple more than she actually has. But yeah, she was all right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot about some of those. They they did set that up well. The um, for- the daughter casting was incredible because that little girl looked exactly like Monica Potter. Yeah, yeah, the blonde hair, the blue eyes. Uh, she's quite pretty now. Um, you know, Landry uh, Albright uh, plays her, and um, yeah, she's what she's your age now. I, I think yeah. you were doing a little bit of research, and yeah, isn't she's, that crazy? She's a year younger than I am. Oh, okay. Yeah, I it, I find it funny, you know, watching movies like this, going back and like, oh, let's see what the kids up to. I'm like, oh wow, they're older than me or they're younger than me and still kind of doing things. Like, I think um, not too long ago, I did like Surf Ninjas, and I looked up like the the little brother in that movie, and he's like roughly around my age too, and uh, he's not doing much uh, anymore. But that's that's always kind of interesting to see whether or not like some of these kids, you know, who have like very small roles, like go go on to do anything else. Yeah. But um, yeah, she 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 was fine. What's funny is Landry Albright, the uh, the daughter Casey Poe, was actually in a movie, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, with another young actress, Taylor Momsen, who is now in a punk rock band, um, is also about my age, who's also you know stunningly gorgeous, and I actually saw her in concert last year. Kind, oh, awesome! Kind of random. Yeah, is that a movie you you liked the uh, the the Grinch movie? Oh no, that movie's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a good casting, but yeah, I I think I watched it like once and didn't really care for it. Um, the 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 whole daughter thing. There there's a bit of a montage during this uh, passage of time while Cameron's in in prison. They're writing back and forth, which you know I think it sets up this relationship well. Where I kind of buy that he is kind of in a hurry to to get home. I did appreciate um, the one little exchange where he's talking to the guard on the airplane and explains why he's never met his daughter, and that was because he didn't want the first meeting of his daughter to be in prison, surrounded by a bunch of convicts, you know, talking to her through a sheet of plexiglass over a telephone. Like I, yeah. I, I really believe that. Yeah, yeah, I, do, I definitely believe that and appreciate it. Um, but what I didn't really buy was the relationship between him and Baby O. Uh, his cell, his cellmate. His cellmate, yeah. And when we first see Baby O, he's just this guy who's like pushing a cart of books, and he, you know, he builds a relationship with uh, Cameron, and Cameron like shares his like snowball, his like pink snowball mm-hmm. with him. But we don't see them really interact much until like he's about to leave when they when they are sharing a prison cell. That's it. Yeah, there was there was a little bit uh, of a contrived plot point there. Like Cameron's whole reason for staying on the airplane was because Baby O ran out of insulin, and he was gonna make sure he he notified the the cops to make sure that Baby O got his insulin. It's like that's kind of ridiculous, don't you think? <laughs> A little bit, and maybe if we had gotten a little bit more of a character development from that character, I mean, I don't know, I hope they weren't banking on, like, oh, this is Bubba Gump, people are just going to like him because of that. Like, no, like, uh, I actually forgotten that he was Bubba, and, you know, maybe something, um, you know, where he, 
had been denied parole, you know, like three times or something. And he is finally getting out because he finally is rehab, re, rehabilitated, mm-hmm. you know. And let's, let's give us some more backstory on him as, you know, to make us feel bad for this character that he is dying. Because I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't either. care that he have his insulin. Yeah. I, I'm very anti-characters who exist solely as plot points. Like, that's that's one of the major gripes I have with any movie is if there is a plot device character, I automatically hate that character. Yeah, he seemed like a nice guy. Yeah, I'm but... sure he was I'm sure he was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I'd give him like, you know, my snowball too if I had some, you know, why not? I'd share. But yeah, I they gave us nothing on his character and I, I didn't care. Um you know, I did like seeing Dave Chappelle. Apparently he improvised like most of his lines. You know, and this is like one of his first appearances. You know, I think Half Baked might have came out a couple years before. Yeah, he was really young in that movie. Like maybe 25, 26, I think. You're probably right. Yeah, they're definitely really young looking. And uh, he was kind of fine. You know, he, he, you know, they they could have made him like the um, like the comedic relief, which I don't, I don't think he really quite was. And he did well. He actually had a pretty um, big role in this big plan of Cyrus's. So uh, so that was kind of nice. Uh, like the first time, well, not the first time we see him, but what he does is apparently he swallowed like a little package of like uh, something with like gasoline in it and a match. Mm-hmm. And so he sets like the Native American convict next to him on fire. So I kind of kind of remember that one, but that was crazy to see. Yeah, it's like oh, this guy's just totally. Uh, what is it? Um, something combust. There's, yeah, there's spontaneously combusted. Spontaneously, yeah. So I, I guess that is kind of a, a myth that that can happen. But I thought that was interesting that they threw that in here. Yeah, and the way that the guards handled that whole situation was really stupid. Uh, it, like they had all of the protocols and they just completely abandoned everything, um, which seems very unlikely even in the event of you know one of the the guys being set on fire like that because it seems to me that if you're a prison guard it would be painfully obvious that someone had smuggled contraband and it would most likely be the guy sitting directly next to him yeah you would think that um perhaps they even they they would x-ray these guys yeah you know um because uh we, we see that cyrus and um uh, Diamond, I'm forgetting his name now. Diamond Dog. Yeah. Uh, maybe some others. They they kind of like stuck in like like a, I don't know if it was like a paperclip or something into their like their palm, you know, and then they pulled it out to kind of like pick the lock on their cuffs. I they okay. So the cops they were only allowed to have one gun on the plane, right? In yeah. the lockbox. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they have just the one gun. Why is it with the pilots where one pilot, you know, would have to like um you know, uh, walk away from his duties, you know, to, you know what I mean? Like it should have been an actual military personnel, perhaps a law enforcement that was tucked away in another room with a rifle. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or maybe just give it to the head guard or whatever. Um, yeah. On top of that. So they have these supermax convicts who were, you know, exceptionally dangerous and they're handcuffed with their hands in front of them. No. There's no, oh, right. there's zero percent chance that would that would fly, and if yeah. the, if they did have their handcuffs directly in front of them, they definitely would be chained to some kind of bar in addition to uh, the handcuffs that would have very little movement because their comfort would be probably the last concern that they would have with those those guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a lot of questions on on this particular operation. So maybe, maybe, um, uh, what what is the the, the bad DEA's name again? Uh, Malloy. Yeah. Maybe he wasn't so wrong about uh, Larkin after all. You know about uh, how they kind of run this plane because um, Malloy sends a agent, a DEA agent, undercover onto the plane too, just to kind of make sure everything goes well. You know, slips him a little little gun in, into his ankle there. Yeah, and and the reasoning that that guy is even on the plane is to try to get information from one of the other inmates because he's known to be a bit of a chatterbox. He, to try to get a confession or something out of him. That whole scene is very strange to me. Do you think we needed this um, this adversarial, you know, uh, dynamic between Malloy and, and Larkin? Like, do we need Malloy at all? Uh, not really, in my opinion. I think he's solely, he's another guy who basically exists just as a point of conflict to make John Cusack look like that much better at his job when he's already clearly pretty good at his job because uh, there's a lot of things that happen in the movie strictly because Malloy is incompetent yeah he drives that sweet ass well sweet car called ass kicker mm-hmm. uh, on the license plate you know that's supposed to tell us that he is uh this douchebag you know I mean he, his personality already screams that but um yeah I didn't need him but some of his scenes did work for me. I mean, the tension does really build when it comes um, when Malloy and like I think it's Larkin's like a superior or somebody, you know, where they're on the other plane and they're about to shoot down Con Air, you know, and you're like, oh, is he gonna do it or no? You know, and you know, and then uh, Malloy kind of turns a little bit and decides to not shoot down the plane after all. Yeah, and then the ending of the movie actually happens where. They, you know, crashed through the Las Vegas Strip, which in real life, can you think, can you even imagine how many hundreds of people would be injured or killed if that really happened? Thousands. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. There's a lot of people walking around all the time. It's not, not even just a casino. Right. Um, Kind of crazy. Um, let, Let's talk about the, this is kind of on the note of people we didn't really need. Steve Buscemi, as much as I love the guy... Why do we have him on here? He serves no purpose at all. Yeah, he he has a few lines, you know that he like uh that he talks well a few lines that he throws at Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage is like, dude, stop talking to me. That, <laughs> like that's really it. I mean, we have one badass in Cyrus. This guy apparently killed like uh, thirty people up and down some kind of river, which I felt was a little. Was it Bundy that that did that, or it, he was a an amalgam of a lot of different serial killer tropes? Um, they were basically setting him up to be this like ultimate psychopath, like no conscience murderer type. Uh, like he said that he killed one woman and drove through like twenty states with wearing her head as a hat, which is oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says that, and because. I mean, again, it's kind of like a red herring because, like, we got this one scene where where they land somewhere where they have to like refuel. Yeah. So we have that scene there. That's when uh, Poe also meets Larkin, um, and you know they you know they agree. Okay, you're an ally, and so this is stuff that we all kind of figured out. It's kind of almost an unnecessary meeting, except for the fact that uh, Larkin needs to say, "Hey, I, I spoke to your wife and daughter, so you can trust me. Help me out." So we we get that. Um, it could have been better, like, well, first off, Poe knows that he needed to get in touch with Larkin. Maybe he has a phone number that he can call, put me through Larkin. Hey, I'm Poe. This is what's up. Rather than, like, you know, they meet face to face, and then Poe's like, I only trust one man, and it ain't you. 
good line, but like, okay, then what's the point of this scene? Just so you guys can meet? Yeah. You know? Um, but at the same time, this is where we got Steve Buscemi playing, I don't know, tea with a little girl. Yeah, where's yeah. her parents, first off? Yeah, and, and like, why is there a, a house that close to what appears to be an abandoned Air Force base or, like, landing strip thing? Uh, there's a There's a guy in the... Um, the watchtower who's dead whenever John Cusack shows up that's never really explained in the movie. He's just You're right. He's just like a dead Oh well no, no. Um because uh well what is that Hispanic convict? He, he was supposed to get the jet. I, I think he was meeting his friends there. Oh yeah. So You're right. I think that yeah, that might have been part of the plan. But the little girl, maybe she's like we did see one guy who was like driving along like the the uh, the airstrip or whatever, and the plane almost runs him over. So we see that dude. Maybe he's like the dad and kind of works around in the area. The little girl plays by herself, which still still there should be a babysitter. She that little girl's like five or six. Oh yeah, and and her tea set is in the bottom of an empty pool. Oh, yeah. yeah, that that whole scene is very strange, and it solely exists to be like, oh well, you see. He doesn't always kill everyone. He almost killed this little girl and then decided not to, I guess. So he's kind of a good guy, I guess. Well, there's there's got to be a the- I think there's a theme here uh, that we're missing, uh, Shampoo, is the theme of sharing. You know, uh, Poe is sharing his uh, snowball. And this little girl is sharing her doll. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I-, I think that's what it is. Must be. Must be. His his character arc makes no sense at all, and it's very unnecessary to the actual movie. It's just, it's almost like a comic relief character, like a dark comic relief, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because they're, like his whole character plays up on the fact that, oh, he's tiny, unassuming Steve Buscemi, who weighs 146 pounds soaking wet. I, I think you're being a little modest. It's probably like 100. <laughs> that, that dude is quite skinny. Yeah, he's he's probably smaller than I am. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. But yeah, um, that's um, I, I think the Malloy stuff works with me. The Steve Buscemi, not as much. No, like we we got enough convicts here that they're trying to uh, give us backstories for. Uh, let's talk about one of the more popular scenes. You know, we kind of been talking about that that quote throughout the movie here is under the pit where Billy Bedlam. Billy Bedlam. Um, I like this because I thought this was done very well. Um, we got we got Pinball who's stuck down down below in the uh, what is it called again? Uh, in the landing gear. The landing gear. So Diamond Dog he takes Poe down there. Diamond Dog is looking around while Poe is tr- you know he's writing his little SOS sign on on Pinball. Drops Pinball down um, hundreds of feet. Lands on a car. And um, Diamond Dog finds his stuff, comes upstairs wearing uh, Sally's, you know, sunglasses. I like that little exchange. That was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And then you see Diamond, um, not Diamond Dog, uh, Billy Bedlam. He's like, where'd you get that from? And Diamond's like, oh, d- you know, down below. And then we see him walk down there. I guess most people would think like, oh, he's just going to go grab something that's his maybe. But, you know, we've seen uh, earlier that Billy's like, you know, he, he's kind of on the Poe. He's like, hey, you said that you got another 15 years. That That's when um, Poe says that, you know, he'll stay on the plane because he had a chance to get off. Right. And Billy's like, oh, well, I was in North Block. I don't know you. So we get that exchange. So Billy goes downstairs, 
starts rummaging through, you know, a bunch of stuff and finds that Poe was actually supposed to leave. He was a free man. So what do you think of that scene? Uh, the scene itself was set up really well. And I thought I thought the whole sort of culmination of the, the Billy Bedlam stuff being on to Poe and, and figuring that whole thing out was, was really nice. It's strictly the put the bunny back in the box. I said put the bunny <laughs> back in the box. You know, and then he kills him. And why couldn't you have just put the bunny back in the box? <laughs> like, That's pretty good. It's, That's pretty good. It's so ridiculous. It is. And unfortunately, I don't think that's really caught on in pop culture. You know, I, I watch a lot of TV and movies. I, I don't see that, like, kind of ever being thrown in as a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not not even any other, like, uh, uh, Nicolas Cage movies thereafter. So, yeah, they tried. They tried. They tried to throw in a little levity in this movie, you know. But it's it would have been fine. You know, like, another movie that isn't quite like this, but I felt like if they'd gone with this tone, it could have been better. But, um Oh, God, what the hell is it called? I think it's got Steve Austin. Is he in it? It's also a bunch of convicts um, on an island. Oh, you know, they have to... yeah, The Condemned, I think is what Condemned. it's called. I th- yeah, I think you're right. Like, if it was more gritty tone like that, I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, that could have been like a could you imagine, like part two. Could you imagine if Steve Austin would have played Cameron Poe and how much different the tone of the movie would have been? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Even if they kept going to go Cyrus the virus. Even if even if you kept the tone the exact same, kept all of the same lines, just Steve Austin be like, "Put the money back in the box." I said, "Hell yeah!" yeah." Like that whole that was a terrible Steve Austin. I apologize to everyone, (laughs) but you need a six pack. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you need a six pack. But yeah, um, I would like that casting a little bit better. You know, I mean, mm, I mean, it's been eight years. Yeah, he looks good actually. You know, let's give a credit to Nicolas Cage. He he buffed up a little bit. Yeah, I, I like the way he looked. Yeah, you know, he he was uh, pretty impressive doing. Um, he, at one point he was like doing this yoga move where he's like holding himself up uh, cross-legged, you know, with just his fingers. Mm-hmm. You know, then he did like the uh, the the trope of the upside down push-ups. Yeah, you know, um, you know, so so we saw that. So he did some pretty pretty good physical things in here. Uh, I, I like this casting. It's just the accent. You know, if he would just drop the accent, um, at least they referenced the, the hair at the end, you know, where, you know, he does reunite with his family. He's like, you know, I've been meaning to get a haircut, you know, so we got that too. Well, you know, there's, whenever whenever this Con Air came out, it was in the middle of three of the most iconic Nicolas Cage movies ever, right in a row. There was The Rock, and then there was Con mm-hmm. Air, and then there was Face Off, all in a row. Um, so Nicolas Cage was really at, I said it once earlier, he was really at the height of his popularity and his caginess. And, you know, he was pretty, he was pretty buff for The Rock. And I think he got a little bit bigger for Con Air and then, you know, started his descent into ridiculousness after Face Off. Yeah, I I think uh, Face Off came out earlier because I did cover that with my son. Did it? It was, this, it yeah. was the same year. They both came out in 97. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. They they were both 97. The Rock came out in 95? 96. 96. Okay, yeah, you're right. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Um, Actually, Face Off came out three weeks after Con Air. Well, there you go. So that was quite that was quite a month. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. Um, any other uh, prisoners you want to talk about? Not really. I think I think well there's Swamp Thing, MC Ganey. His his character was kinda great. Uh he, I liked him. He had yeah, he was fun. He had fantastic sideburns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um what are they called? The uh, muffin chops? Mutton chops, yeah. Mutton chops, yeah. 
Yeah, I I, I like him. Um, I know he's been in like. 150 movies. Yeah. But this is actually what I do know him from. His introduction was kind of funny. They pick him up in this uh, this second stop that they had to, which actually was a pretty nice scene too, where they have to make another stop, um, exchange out the prison guards, you know, for the new inmates. Yep. In- including the pilot. Including the pilot where Poe slips like a recording tape into the guard that's pretty much took his daughter's picture yeah. or something. And then that, he goes, that was kind of weird. I just saved your life. <laughs> Yeah, I told you I'd get my picture back, but that that was unnecessary. Like, why why you gotta be mean to the man? I mean, that it it works, yeah. it works. But um, uh, what was I going to? Oh, uh, MC Ganey. Yeah. So we, when he becomes the new pilot, and I do like how he immediately grabs the transponder, rigs it up so that way it still works um, off of a battery, and then they throw that um, a pinball takes it to another plane. So I dig that, and. Uh, yeah, he he didn't have a whole lot, but his dialogue worked. Um, you know, I bought him as just like, oh man, I've been in jail for so long. I needed to get back behind the wheel of a plane. Yeah, it was like one of his toys. It, it's it's really really funny how that whole culmination of events ends up. Like pinball dumps the transponder and then gets left behind and eventually killed because he was hitting on the the lady who ran across him in the the hangar. Hmm. The um yeah, was, I I didn't like that scene. I didn't care for it. No. Like okay, if he wasn't allowed to be there, but oh, he's I don't know, charming enough to flirt with or something. Um, okay, so the end, a little anticlimactic. Yeah, yeah, and and also very strange. You know, I I had mentioned it a little bit ago how like so many people would have been killed whenever that plane crashed into the strip. And, like that would have made national news. On top of that. There's a three thousand percent chance that Poe would go right back to prison. Yeah, yeah, I buy that absolutely. I mean, unless Larkin just kind of like pull some strings to, you know, to to get him. Like, here's the thing: Larkin read Poe's files and says he's he is just you know um, a guy who was just always in the wrong place at the wrong time, right? You know, so he was able to kind of deduce that from reading the files, which is all right. You know, let's 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 just give it that. It's another plot device. That it's it's fine. So yeah, I could I could buy that. Okay, you know, m- maybe serve a little bit of time for this because he did help. You know, bring the plane down. Um, they were able to capture Cyrus the virus, but you know, he does die. So it, it was fine, but it's like the whole bunny. Like I, I get it, dude. You've never met your daughter. You want to give her something. That's going to be creepy as hell. You're giving her this dirty-ass bunny, which I'm sure has got, like, blood stains on it and stuff, too. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's been dragged through the mud and all that, so... Not to mention, he would look... But he's sharing, right? He, the theme of sharing. And he would look terrifying, because he's he's definitely covered in dirt and blood and has long, scraggly hair and probably smells terrible, and he had just killed, like, a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I felt that maybe they should have not brought, you know, brought the family to, you know, to the scene of the quote unquote crime. Keep them at the police station nearby. Yeah. You know, we will bring your husband to you. That that way, maybe he has a chance to stop by a gift shop, perhaps, let's say, get something brand new, maybe another bunny. You know, sure, we'll buy that. It's a brand new bunny. It's cleaner. And then now your daughter can see you in, in a better environment. Yeah. You know, a little dangerous. <laughs> Not to mention, you're going to take a seven-year-old girl to 
basically an airplane crash where there's debris and fire and sirens and people panicking and probably dead bodies and de- like hanging yeah, out of the plane. Definitely dead bodies. Um, yeah, limbs. Yeah, you know. And you know, him and his wife have the passionate embrace as well. And yeah, a little, a little contrived ending. But I'll allow it because it fits the theme of the rest of the movie, like you said, sharing. Yeah, sharing. So, you know, we get that. They share a hug. And then then they uh, end it with that song again, mm-hmm. uh, How Do I Live? But that wraps it up. You got any last thoughts on this movie? Overall, it's it's a silly, fun, cheesy romp with a lot of flaws. It's a very flawed movie. But at the same time, it's a, I think it's solid. It's It's an enjoyable one. Yeah. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes, uh, I know I had it up here. Um, I think it had it like at a fifty-seven percent, and on IMDb, it actually has the movie at uh, six point eight, which was actually kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, which one do you would you agree more with the fifty-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes or the uh, six point eight on IMDb? Uh, it's kind of weird because I I feel like it's it's right in between. I would have given this about a six out of ten. Um, fifty-seven. I think that's low enough to be considered rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So I don't yes, think the is. movie is rotten, but I also think almost being a seven out of ten is outrageous. Um, yeah. So it's right in between. Uh, it's. It's a 90s action movie, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it, yeah, it really is. Um I I like it more than a 57% for sure. Uh I you know, 6 I still feel okay, you know what? I looked at the wrong thing. It was 54%, so oh, even lower. Okay. Yeah, so um but the audience have it at 75%, but I'm going to 6.8. Man, that is really high. I feel I feel like a six point three, you know, yeah. just a, a low six. A low six would be fair. Fifty four percent on Rotten Tomatoes is a little low for me, because um, I thought again, like some of the setup was actually pretty nice. Like I, I thought this, I, I thought I remembered the, the script being like terrible. I mean, it's not good, but it works, you know. I mean, like you said, it's a nineties action flick, riding off of like Armageddon, The Rock, and all that. Um, it was a good decade for for action flicks for sure. Um, Let's talk about some of the casting real quick. Um, in my mind, I was like, who can rock the long hair? It probably would have been better. And I immediately went to Kurt Russell, probably because he's oh, always like man. known for his hair. <laughs> uh, but I feel like maybe this was five years too late yeah. for him at this point. Um, but hell, you know, like I'd still buy him. But, you know, maybe if they cast it like a um, somebody else older than Monica Potter, then Kurt Russell still could have worked. But I think I would have loved him in this movie. Yeah, and Kurt Russell has one of those faces where even even now he's he's a bit older. He still looks really great for being. I think he's about sixty years old, um, and he, like he was just in Guardians of the Galaxy two, and he looks he looks mm-hmm. great. You know, he has he, he has all white hair and everything, but you know that this was twenty years ago. He might have been able to pull it off, and he definitely would have been able to pull off the post prison look of you know. So unless the the opening fight scene is supposed to be set in nineteen ninety, which it's entirely possible that that's when it's set, but if it's set mm-hmm. in '97 and then the plane crash is supposed to be in 2004, then Kurt Russell absolutely had the look for that. Yeah, you know that's another um, um, interesting um, insight that you bring there. Like this movie is almost timeless because not a whole lot dates the movie. You know, aside from you know the the the, the main song here, "How Do I Live," mm-hmm. but as far as technology goes, 
not a whole lot really dates it. There there might have been uh like a I don't know, like an old looking cell phone, I'm sure, but I think this this movie can uh, is actually pretty timeless and you can watch this anytime and not feel like, "Oh god, this is so 90s." Action movies aren't really, you know, really known for their stellar dialogue or anything, you know? Right. Um now some of the other casting just real quick here. Gary Oldman apparently was like in the running for Cyrus the Virus. Ooh, that would have been great. Yeah, so um, Gary Oldman is great as anything, but I do love him as a villain. Yeah, if he, if he could have channeled his, uh, uh, the character slipping my name at the moment, but the character he played in Leon the Professional, if he could have channeled that as Cyrus the Virus, it would have been very mm. good. I don't remember the name either, but that's a, that's a good one. A couple other names that uh, I thought would have been kind of cool, Ron Perlman as uh, Cyrus. Uh, Mickey Rourke was also considered James Gandolfini. You know, sure, why not? A few years after um, uh, True Romance, sure. You know, that would have been yeah, a pre pre Sopranos Gandolfini. Yep, that, I, I think so. I think so. I think uh, that um, I'm pretty sure Sopranos came like late '90s. Yeah. I feel. Yeah, uh, some of the names that um, were. Uh, considered for Cameron Poe, which I feel you could have copy and pasted this in any movie. Uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Willis, Kurt Russell, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'd buy that because he's had some some long hair, don't care movies. Uh, Seagal, Lundgren, Johnny Depp, William Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, Keanu Reeves, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Copy and paste, right? Yeah. Uh, the movie's a little bit too early for this, and obviously the hair wouldn't work if they drop the Alabama angle, could you imagine Jason Statham as Cameron Poe? Oh Lord, yes. Oh, oh man. Uh, I just, I just had a hard on. Um, <laughs> little inappropriate, but hey, you know what? Yes, give me Jason Statham in this. Okay, this was '97. This was six years before. Um, I think his introduction to most people was probably the Italian job. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that or the transporter. Transporter, I feel, was uh, a little bit uh, was a little bit later. A little bit later, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that was a little bit later. So, um, I think that's the first time I saw him. He played Handsome Dan, I think it was. I covered it on original remake, but um, yeah, Jason Statham. A few years, you know, if they if this movie was shelved until a little bit later, I'd buy that. Yeah, and and Statham proved that he can play those sort of ridiculous but serious roles in the movie Spy. Uh, with yeah. Melissa McCarthy, where he's like the badass, but at the same time, you can't really take him seriously at all. Like, I could totally see him delivering the put the bunny back in the box line and having it not be nearly as ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, he would just, it'd be a serious look and it wouldn't come off as silly from him. Like, I, I buy that. He's got, he's got a certain like organic look to him where you just don't want to fuck with him. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, man. If we did a remake, Jason Statham, um, he would. I think he'd still be okay age-wise now. Yeah, to uh, twenty seventeen remake. I, yeah, I'd take Jason Statham. Um, the Rock, too big, too on the nose for for a movie like this. I would, you know, maybe Cyrus the Virus. I or something. would like The Rock as Diamond Dog. Okay, okay. Um, I, I would definitely give him. Um, I would I would also rewrite the character of Diamond Dog, you know, because we give his we get his backstory that he's like this you know sort of activist I guess, um, wrote a book even you know that that, that is going to inspire in a movie led by uh, Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, so that's interesting. Maybe we get a little Denzel Washington cameo <laughs> as a little Easter egg for that nod in the original. Um, 
Yeah, I like that. And maybe it may be turned, you know, like maybe there's a twist and we turn Diamond Dog into the actual villain, you know, uh, have him overthrow Cyrus the Virus, a little mutiny there. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty neat. Uh, I think yeah, a little, little nice twist. The Rock, the Rock has the chops where he could he could play pretty much anyone. Like he could even be Cyrus if they if he wanted to, or maybe even um, Poe. Like I could I could buy him as Poe. Yeah, I I'm almost getting a little overwhelmed and kind of sick of him being like the new lead and everything. Yeah, a little much. I mean, we got Jumanji coming out. Um, he's this generation's Arnold. He is. Except he's a better actor. <laughs> he is a better actor, but a lot of these are starting to be, I don't know, they're not like all remakes, but I mean, I mean, the reason I bring that up, because like Baywatch and Jumanji, um, I I would like more original action stuff. I mean, San Andreas was kind of like, you know, something like that. Yes. You know, it's some kind of mindless fun. Um, I really didn't like Central Intelligence. No, you know, I like I, I like both actors, him and Kevin Hart. I didn't like him. Pain and uh, either of them. Pain and Gain was shockingly good. Okay, yeah, that's like uh, that's also Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was I was absolutely stunned by how much I enjoyed that movie because I I expected it to be, you know, like a Razzie worthy uh, movie, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. See, so stuff like that. Um, I just, I didn't like him playing, you know, Cody from Step by Step no. on Central Intelligence, <laughs> no. man. He was just like, you know, that's that's all I saw. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'd welcome a remake, you know. Why not? You know, it's an action movie. You don't have to call it, Con, you know what, Con Air, The Return of Cyrus. No, no, Cyrus is dead. Um, you know, something else. Uh, Con Air subtitle, you know. Just, <laughs> right. We'll, we'll just have it uh, a sequel because if we call it anything else, God forbid, people are going to be like, oh, they should have just called this Con Air 2 or, you what, know. What about Con Air 2, Connor Harder? <laughs> Connor Harder. I like that. Share Harder, maybe, you know, or, uh, you know, Bunnies Out of the Box. Oh, there you go. There you go. The, uh, the 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 Hollywood is so unoriginal. They'll probably have like the daughter. You know, she, may, maybe she is a uh, combat vet, and then she is now in prison, and now it's a it's a female one. Sure. You know. Yeah. I'd watch it. I I, I mean I I watch most movies when they come out, so yeah. I I'm very have a bunch of uh you know female MMA fighters. You know that'd be kind of cool. As long as it wasn't starring Ronda Rousey. I, I'd be okay with it. Like, I love Ronda Rousey, but she cannot act at all. She was pretty bad in, um, uh, was it Furious 7? Yeah, she was really bad in The Expendables too. Okay, I don't remember her, Well, it's but... Expendables 3 is the one that she's okay. in. But I, I meant also. Yeah, but I would almost take her over G- Gina Carano. Yeah, Gina Carano was great in Deadpool, though. She's all right. It was mostly because she didn't speak that much, but yeah. What yeah. was the um? What was the the one where she led? Was it Haywire? Yeah, I think didn't that's care what for it's her called. in that one. That was so, not. That was not good. She yeah. Gina Carano can't carry a movie, but neither can Ronda Rousey. Right. Um. Right. I mm. think they're supposed to be doing a Roadhouse remake that stars her as Patrick Swayze. Um. Mm. Uh. G- or Ronda Rousey. That is, and I. I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. You, you know what? You know hot what? take here. Hot take here. Roadhouse, a little overrated. <laughs> oh. I'm going to duck. I'm going to duck. <laughs> I, have, I have some friends that love that movie. Um, I mean, it's good, 
But how but, about how about a, a Con Air two starring uh, a female lead, Gal Gadot? Oh, wait, put Gal Gadot in anything. Ah. I mean, hey, you, you know what? We, we got the technology now. Let's have her play all the characters. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> I just saw Wonder Woman last night and was absolutely blown away. Yes, uh, Wonder Woman. Um, you know, if you're not going back and listening to old episodes of this, Wonder Woman, go check it out if you haven't done so. I did a uh, instant review recently with Hannah from uh, Film Rose. So... Um, yeah, I, I love me some Gal Gadot. I, I've been a fan. I, I mentioned this on the review. I've been a fan of her since the, the, the Fast movies, uh, only because she was Han's girlfriend. So I was like, ah, so you're telling me there's a chance. So You know, the, the best part about her is that she like legitimately is Wonder Woman because so she she served two years in the Israeli Special Forces as a combat mm-hmm. trainer. Uh, mm-hmm. She won Miss Israel. And she... Uh, also has two kids and like she is oh and she went to law school briefly before and getting discovered filmed uh, while she was pregnant right and filmed while she was pregnant she's an absolute badass so I would totally buy her as the next female action star she's way yeah. way more of a badass than like Michelle Rodriguez or Mila Jovovich yeah, those see, those are like your safe go tos, unfortunately. And then Mila, uh, you know, seems to collaborate with her husband most of the time, anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe something that we all kind of hoped, like Kate Beckinsale, could have been, you know, very beautiful and very uh, badass, Uri kind of yeah. type, you know. And it's just unfortunate, like she didn't have many roles other than like Underworld. Like mm-hmm. I feel like Gal Gadot could be the next thing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that will uh, kind of conclude our review. Uh, Shampoo, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because I, I know you guys do a lot of like horror movies, so uh, I think it's always fun for like somebody who has a like a, a particular niche that they can kind of go outside the box a little bit, do something a little bit different. Yeah, and on on our show, I'm probably the the least versed in horror movies. I do I do enjoy them, but I I like all sorts of movies as. Uh, as Justin from So I Married a Movie Geek likes to make fun of me for saying, I'm just a dude who likes movies. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, I, th- I feel you're being modest as uh, being the least knowledgeable. I, I, I feel you're very knowledgeable, actually, and very passionate about those movies. Uh, oh, oh I am. I am. From your guys' reviews, yeah. You, you just compare me to uh, Chris or Brandon from our show, and Brandon owns more horror movies than I even know exist. Uh, and, okay. and Chris watches pretty much every horror movie made from 1980 to 1989 about four times a year they're they're legitimate experts i i enjoy i i really do enjoy a good horror movie but uh those guys can talk circles around me for sure oh, okay all right well there you go um and just uh, one one more time where listeners can find your guys's content um i know you already talked about some of the episodes to refer them to uh, but also where they can uh, find you online Sure, we're on uh, Stitcher and iTunes, um, SoundCloud, pretty much any of your favorite podcatchers you can find us. We're uh, at 3B Horror Pod. You can find us on Twitter under that or Facebook under that. If you if you want to subscribe to my delightful content that, that I tend to rant about, you can hit me at Shampoo19 on Twitter. I'm on pretty much 24 hours a day, but the show itself is uh, 3B Horror Pod. And then here here coming pretty soon, uh, Chris from from my show... And I will be starting a another podcast, more of a general movie-themed podcast called Laser Disco, where the catch is we will only be covering movies that were uh, available on Laserdisc. 
Well, there we go. And um, that immediately took me to the scene in Back to the Future 2, where you see like a bunch of laser, laser discs in the background, you know, that were being thrown away. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to those. Uh, that was a fun time for sure. Yeah. Uh, one, one of the laser discs I own, um, Street Fighter. Nice. Very, <laughs> very good movie. Um, in that it's, it's a, good, a terrible movie. movie. Yes. <laughs> One of my favorites. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, for me, for anybody that wants to check out any of my other content, obviously your Apple podcast. Um, I think iTunes probably still works, but uh, Stitcher, uh, Google Play. Um, I do host another show called We Got Five, um, which both shows you can find at CortemParts.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Podstalgic. So uh, thank you guys uh, for listening. If you got a couple minutes, please consider leaving an iTunes review. And if you have another couple minutes, why don't you stop by over at the uh, Buzz Beers and Brutality and uh, leave them a review too. really support the uh, independent podcasters. Um, so that'll do it for this episode. Thanks, uh, Shampoo, again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we will see you guys next time. Listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.